0: The scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 21. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish. He would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with the linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord.
1: Let's go before the Lord now in prayer. Our Father, you are a holy God and you are a happy God. And you will vindicate your holiness in order to exalt your happiness and to make us happy in your house of prayer. And so I pray that you would come today, that you would use the word from your word, O God, to penetrate our hearts to transform our lives and to make us into the image of Christ. Father, I pray that you would cleanse us of sin, that we would be happy in you, that we would be glad in you, that we would be joyful in you, that we would be useful to you, Father, that our lives would be a glory to you. So come now, Father, with your consuming fire and do the work that you have already purposed to do for the glory of Christ and in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Well... Brothers and sisters, here this morning I have a bottle of smart water for you. I don't know how this stuff will make you smart. Maybe the guy that's smart is the one who put water in a bottle and sold it to me. Maybe that's the one who's smart. But if I was to pour some of this water into this cup and then hand it to you to drink, I wonder if you would take it from me. Any objections? If I handed you this cup, would you drink this water? Yes, of course you would, right? This is purified water. It's filtered water. It's smart. Might even make you intelligent. This is good water right here. CLR. Now, I just put a little dab of that in there. It's not very much, actually. If I was to hand this to you to drink now, would you take it? Not, I heard. Somebody from an older generation just said not, <laughs> and that was a very good answer because CLR stands for calcium, lime, and rust, and the product is amazing. We use it in our toilets and in our sinks in our new house. There were some rust problems and stuff. The stuff is amazing. It takes that stuff right away, but I'm thinking that if you drink this, it's going to poison you and perhaps even worse, Right? And if you were to somehow try to make this drinkable again, you'd only really have two choices. You'd either have to find a way to purify this water, or you'd have to throw it away completely and replace it, right? Purify it or replace it. There's really not a third choice. That's the only way. If you're to benefit from the smart water, if you're to benefit from the life-giving effects of the water that God gave to us, right? Well, last week, we talked about the story of a woman named Hannah, and we sat in awe, at least I was certainly in awe, as we watched this young and humble woman of God bring her pain into the house of God. You probably remember that for years, she was unable to have children, and she was in a lot of pain over that. It was just an irrepressible desire she had to bear a child, and so she brought her pain into the house of God, and by the grace of God, he heard her prayer, and she became pregnant, and she bore a son. Part of her story is the ministry of a man named Eli. And you may remember that at first Eli thought she was drunk because she was weeping before the Lord and probably looking like a drunk woman, and so he rebuked her. But when he found out that she was not drunk, he turned and filled with the Holy Spirit. He spoke a prophetic blessing over the life of Hannah, and then not too long after that, she became pregnant and bore a son whom she named Samuel. And you may remember that in accordance with a vow she had made before the Lord, she brought Samuel back to the tabernacle where Eli served the Lord, and he, she dropped Samuel off there. He was about five or six years old. She had vowed that if God gave her a son, she would offer that son up in the service of God. And so when she brought him to the tabernacle, Eli opened his heart, he opened his home, He opened his hands, he took Samuel in and he vowed to raise the young boy not only in in wisdom and in stature but in the service of God. Now to this point in Hannah's story, Eli's a good guy, right? If we were just to stop the story right there, wouldn't you assume that Eli is a sincere man of God? He's like a pure glass of water. And then comes in chapter two, verse 12 and to me it's just shocking. If you read this story as though you've heard it, never heard it before, when you get to verse 12, you should just be jolted. Because in verse 12, all of a sudden you find out that there is corruption in the house of God. There's CLR in the water of the people of God, and they become poisoned. And more than that, there is corruption right inside the house of the high priest of Israel. The holiest man in the land is corrupt, and his family is corrupt. And the water of their lives is undrinkable, beloved, and this is a huge problem, a humongous problem. To be more specific, the Bible says that his sons, Hophni and Phineas, who were also priests, that they were uh, worthless, the Bible says, and they did not even know the Lord. Now to our mo- modern sensibilities, we don't generally call people worthless, right? That's not very PC language. We don't tend to get away with stuff like that. But in the original language of the Bible, the word means to be without use or to be without profit. And if you think about it, that's exactly what they were because these priests did not even know God. I'm thinking that the main thing you want in a priest is a person who knows God, right? You want a person who has a, some kind of vital relationship with God and if your priest doesn't even know God, of what use is he to you or to God? Hophni and Phinehas were worthless in the sense that they were priests who didn't even know the Lord. And because this was their heart, they saw the systems of God and the people of God as a way to profit themselves. They saw it as a way to feed their flesh. And the Bible tells us that they are doing at least two things that were horrible in the sight of God. The first thing they were doing is they were treating the offerings of God with contempt, They were taking the very best portions for themselves. So imagine this morning that instead of bringing money for the offering, that you brought meat before the Lord. And imagine that me and the other pastors gathered together and we looked at all the meat and we decided to take the ribeye for ourselves. We decided to take the best portion for ourselves. God had already made a way for these priests to be filled to the fullest. He had made plenty provision for them. He cared for them. He wanted them to be taken care of in the house of God. But they set aside the commands of God and said, we will take whatever we want. And what's even worse is that when sincere people of God would say, brothers, this is not right, You are taking things that God has forbidden you to take and it is not right. They would actually threaten these people with physical violence. Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine coming to church and being threatened by the pastors of that church with physical violence? Can you imagine if you saw me after church standing right back there in the corner in full sight of everybody, thumbing through the offering, And let's just assume that everybody gave cash instead of checks, and I'm thumbing through the cash, and I'm saying, forget the ones and the fives and the tens, just give me the twenties and the hundreds, and I'm just sticking them right in my pocket. Can you imagine what it would be like to watch me do that right in front of everybody? And can you imagine that if you in love and in love for God came and rebuked me and said, Pastor Charlie, that is not right, and I said to you, listen, you get out of my face or I'm going to punch you in the nose. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to shoot you. You leave me alone. You mind your own business. Well, I would hope in our context that if I did something like that, you would say, Well, I think it's about time for me to find another church. Right? If the people leading the church are corrupt and they will not listen to rightful rebuke, then you are under no obligation to submit to their authority. But, beloved, in Israel, it wasn't that simple. There was not a tabernacle on every corner. In fact, there wasn't a tabernacle in every town. There was one tabernacle in one place. There was one holy place. There was one holy of holies. There was one Ark of the Covenant. There was one place for the people of God to come and be reconciled to God and beloved. If that place was corrupt, where were the people to go? Do you see how bad this was? Do you understand how serious the corruption of these boys was? It was absolutely horrible what they were doing. They had power over the people and frankly they thought they were getting away with it but God was watching, God was paying attention and one day soon God would vindicate his name in faithfulness to his people. Please remember that, it's the key idea for the day. The day was coming when God would vindicate his holy name in faithfulness to his people. While all of this was going on, the young boy Samuel was growing up. He's growing in wisdom, he's growing in stature. He was pure, he was innocent, he was sincere, he was passionate in his service to God, and he was as cute as cute could be. The Bible points out that he walked around in a little ephod and a little robe, just doing his work in the house of the Lord. He would have been the cutest thing you ever saw. And every year when his mother Hannah came to the temple to offer her offerings, she would hand make a new robe for him so that it would always fit, so that he would look like a servant of God. He was sincere. If you would have laughed at him, he probably wouldn't have laughed back because he was sincere in his service. But oh, he would have been such a cute little boy. In his heart, he loved the Lord. In his heart, he was serving the Lord. And ironically, every year when his father and mother would visit the temple... Eli the priest would bless them again and pray for them again that they would have more and more children and apparently God listened because Hannah bore five more children. Pranges sound familiar to you? Six kids. She had three more boys and two girls for a total of six. God blessed this woman mightily, blessed her mightily. Things were well with Samuel, they were truly well. Things were well with his family but things were not well with the family of Eli. In fact, as time passed by, the corruption got worse and worse, and I think that's how corruption tends to act. Like when you get away with this, you're like, well, I got away with that, now let's try this, now let's try this, now let's try that, and things had gotten horrible. As Eli was pressing into the twilight of his life, he began to hear more and more stories, and the worst of them was this. He heard that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were actually taking physical, sexual advantage of young women at the very gate of the tabernacle. Can you imagine coming to church and seeing something like that and knowing that something like that is happening by the very leaders of God's people? Now, I wanna be very clear. These young women, from everything I can tell in my studies and in my prayers, they were not cult prostitutes. That kind of thing did happen in the culture around Israel, but that I'm convinced that's not what was happening here. These were young women who desired to give their hearts to God, who desired to serve God and to serve his people. They had pure motives. They had sincere motives. They wanted to make something of their lives for the glory of their God. And the priest's Instead of respecting them and honoring them and treating them as holy and training them and protecting them and showing them the ways of the Lord, the priest took advantage of them, took sexual advantage of them right at the gate of the tabernacle. Unbelievable. This is the one place on earth where a holy God had made a way for his people to be reconciled to him. And right at that very place, the priests in the name of God are taking advantage of the people of God and they're arrogantly thinking that they're getting away from it. But God was watching, beloved, God was taking note. And soon God would vindicate his holy name in faithfulness to his people. The day came when Eli had just had enough. And he drew his sons aside and he rebuked them strongly. He said, sons, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Don't you understand what your actions are doing to people? Don't you know that your reputation is spreading across the land? And my sons, I am afraid for you. Because if you take on people, maybe, maybe, maybe you can be forgiven, but if you sin against Almighty God, if you defame His name in His very house, who will advocate for you? Who will stand for you if you oppose the Almighty, my sons? I believe with all my heart that Eli's rebuke was sincere. I think it was strong. I think his words were right, but beloved, I have to point out, it was way too late It was way too late. Why didn't he do this decades earlier? Why did he wait for so long? And why did his rebuke have absolutely no teeth, no consequences? The boys didn't listen to him at all, beloved. The boys hardened their hearts, and the Bible says specifically why they hardened their hearts. The Bible says that Hophni and Phinehas would not listen to their father because God had willed to take their lives. God had willed to kill them. Now that might sound harsh to you, but remember back in Pharaoh's day? You remember it said that Pharaoh hardened his heart because God hardened Pharaoh's heart? I think that the reason God hardened Hophni and Phinehas' heart is because he had given them chance upon chance upon chance upon chance to repent, and they refused And so finally, after years and perhaps decades of refusal, God said, that's enough, I will now take your life. That's enough. Day by day in the temple, beloved, they heard the word of the Lord. They spoke out the words of the Lord. They were the stewards of the word of God over the people of God. They knew better. Believe me, God gave them more chances than we ever would have given them. God is immensely merciful, merciful, And patient beyond anything we can imagine, and praise be to his name for that. If it wasn't for that, none of us would have hope. Amen? God is immensely patient, beloved. I've said to you before, though, and I need to say again, that the day will come when God's mercy gives way to God's wrath, where God's blessing gives way to irreversible and inescapable punishment. If we will not turn from our sins, if, God will, if we will not put ourselves in a place where God can purify the water of our lives, then God will simply have to replace it. What other choice does he have, beloved? It's purification or it's replacement. There's not a third option. As for Samuel, the author brings him up again and says he continued to grow in wisdom and stature. He continued to grow in favor. He continued to serve the Lord. But as for Eli, the Lord had a very strong word for him. And I'm very moved that when God sent a rebuker, he sent the rebuker to Eli, not to his sons. I hope we understand Eli was responsible for the action of his sons. This man of God just comes into the picture like the wind and he goes out like the wind. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went to. The Bible just says he's a man of God, but oh, was he faithful to God. And no was he courageous to speak a word like this to the most powerful man in the land of Israel. So please look with me at chapter 2, verse 27, and let's just read to the end of the chapter and see what this man of God had to say. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father, when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh. He's talking about Aaron here. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up on my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. So what he's saying there, beloved, is that I made provision for my priest to eat and to eat plentifully, I gave you everything that you needed and is my provision not enough for you? Verse 29, why then? Do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? I take this to mean that Eli, although he was not directly complicit in stealing the offerings, that he was, in fact, enjoying the offerings We're gonna see in a couple of weeks that he became a very heavy man and he became heavy off the backs of the people of God. He became heavy because he chose to profit from the thievery of his sons. So maybe he wasn't the one stealing, but he was benefiting and beloved, the water of his heart became corrupt and God sent a rebuker to him. Verse 30, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares You will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you, whom I shall not cut off from my altar, shall be spared for what? To weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men and this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. This shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Keep that in mind. That's going to come back up in a couple of weeks. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priests' place that I may eat a morsel of bread. This was the word of the Lord, beloved, to Eli and to his household. And it was irreversible and it was inescapable. We know from history, even from what's in the Bible, that all of this came true. There comes a time where God will vindicate his holiness in faithfulness to his people. There comes a time where God will no longer tolerate the defamation of his name inside of his house. There comes a time where mercy gives way to irreversible, inescapable judgment. And for these people, that time had come, beloved. They had to be purified or they had to be replaced. They refused to be purified They refused to listen to the Lord. They refused to humble themselves before the Lord. They refused to receive the merciful, gracious, transforming power of the Lord. And so what was he left with to do but to rebuke them, to remove them, and to replace them? Now I know, especially to modern ears, that this judgment sounds harsh. But I wanna suggest to you That inside of the judgment of God is the manifestation of the mercy of God. I want to suggest to you that God is coming against his people because he's for his people. And I hope that that's plain to you. God's house is to be a house of prayer for all peoples, right? We've been seeing that over the last few weeks. God's house is to be a house where people can seek the Lord and find the Lord and be in relationship with the Lord and be healed by the Lord and empowered by the Lord. God's house is to be a place where they are joyful in his house of prayer. That's what he said. It's a place of reconciliation, it's a place of life, it's a place of health, it's a place of hope. And beloved, when leaders come in and corrupt that place and make it something other than that, God has to come against them because he is for his people. I hope that we can see that. His word of judgment, as harsh as it is, is actually an act of mercy, It's an act of a merciful God saying that my house must be a holy, healthy house so that people can come to know me. I hope that you can see that. Embedded in this story are two specific things that help us to see the hope that God has for us and the mercy that God has for us inside the story. The first thing is that three different times, Samuel is mentioned. Two times in chapter two, and then next week we'll see in chapter three, he's brought up again. So we hear about Eli and his sons, and then boom, Samuel. Eli and his sons, Samuel. Eli and his sons, chapter three, Samuel. And the way that I read this is God is saying that even though he has to come against his appointed leaders right now, he has not forgotten his people and he is preparing a way for a new crop of leadership to come who will serve them well and who will honor the name of God in their midst. God is for the people and not against the people. The second place where I see hope and mercy embedded in this story is the prophecy that's right at the end of the rebuke given to Eli. Did you notice that? Did you notice that this man of God promised that God would rise up and raise up another priest who would be faithful another priest who would do everything that was in God's heart to do another priest whose house would be sure and strong and eternal and who would go in and out before the Lord forever did you notice the prophecy Now I just want to ask the question who's that prophecy about and I see 3 options First of all, it could be Samuel, couldn't it? I mean, we're hearing the story of the fall of Eli's house, but we're also hearing the story right alongside of it of the rise of Samuel. We're hearing about this son who was born in kind of a miraculous way and who's brought into the house of God at a very young age and who is sincerely serving the Lord his God, even though he's just a little guy. And it could well be that God is saying, I'm taking you out, but I'm raising Samuel up. But in the very next chapter, Samuel is called a prophet, And he's always and only called a prophet. He is never called a priest. He never served as a priest. Samuel was not a priest. And he's not the fulfillment of the prophecy at the end of chapter two. So a second option is it could be this man named Zadok. As time went along, Eli's family was one by one removed from the priesthood. And in the days of David, near the end of his reign, Eli's family was completely removed from the priesthood. When that happened, Solomon appointed a man named Zadok to take his place. And Zadok and his family served in the priesthood for centuries. So it could be that this man was prophesying about the next family who would rise up as a family of priests for century upon century. But the problem with that is that Zadok and his family were not perfectly faithful priests. If we had the time, we could look at some stories. They, were not, they did not do everything that God commanded them to do. They did not do everything that was in God's heart and in God's mind, they did not. And God did not build them an eternal house. And how do I know that? Because there's no Zadokian priesthood today, right? There, there is no high priesthood of Israel in existence and there hasn't been since 70 AD. There is no priesthood. So this can't be talking about Zadok. And I'm sure you see where I'm going. This leads me to only one conclusion. The book of Hebrews teaches us that God raised up Jesus Christ and appointed him as an eternal and faithful high priest. It actually uses those words. He is a faithful high priest. He is an eternal high priest. The Bible tells us that God built him a sure house that will endure forever and ever and ever. And as high priest, Jesus Christ has been enthroned and has served for 2,000 years, beloved, and there's no end in sight. He will serve forever and ever. As high priest, he comes in and out before the presence of his Father forever and ever, which is just a way of saying that he serves as priest and he serves as priest and he serves as priest. I think that the end of chapter two is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And what I'm trying to help us see is that in the midst of a stunning rebuke to his people, God embedded an eternal hope for his people. The judgment of God is always a manifestation of the mercy of God. That's the main thing I'm trying to help us see today. It is not vain imagination. But careful meditation, careful biblical interpretation that leads me to see Jesus here and that leads me to see hope here. So God's word is harsh and God's word is hopeful, both things. God is a consuming fire because God is a God who wants to make us holy. God is a God of holiness. God is a God of happiness, both things. And beloved, I believe that both sides of this word remain for us today. I believe that the judgment of God's word and the hope of God's word Remain for us today. It's unfortunately true that there are actually people serving as pastors all across this land and across the world, in fact, who don't even know the Lord. I was remembering yesterday, I was out in Crohasson Park praying, getting my heart ready for the service today, and I remembered once. Kimmy, I don't know if you remember this couple, but they came by our house when I was serving as a pastor in California. They just showed up one day. And they spent time with us and encouraged us and they prayed with us and they told us that they had a ministry from the Lord where they just went from city to city as God led them and they would just pray and go to a church as God led them and their whole heart was to encourage pastors. They loved pastors and they felt for pastors and they wanted to lift up pastors so they sat and prayed with us and it was super encouraging to me. But they said that as they began their ministry, they were shocked by how many pastors they led to the Lord. They thought that they were going to pray for pastors and they found out a lot of pastors didn't even know Jesus and they were leading them to know Jesus. Believe me, this exists still today. There are people in the house of God who are using the systems of God and the things of God to profit themselves and they think that they're getting away with it but God is watching, beloved. God is watching and he will not let the false shepherds who are in his house to destroy his vision And as they're using the things of God and the people of God to benefit themselves, God will take note and they are heaping condemnation upon themselves. The day will come when His judgment will be pronounced, that is, if they will not repent. And so I ask you to join me to pray for people even in our city. I'll be honest with you, there's a couple people in my mind right now that I'm convinced don't even know the Lord and they have control over churches in this city, please let's pray for them, mainly that they would repent, right? Who wants people to be harshly judged? I don't. I want people to repent and know the kindness and mercy of God, so let's pray for people like this, beloved. They're out there. Let's pray for them. But I think if we stop our application of this story at this point, we let ourselves off way too easily. Because besides people who are corrupt and actually don't even know the Lord, There are other people who have a genuine kind of relationship with God, but in truth, they're using the things of God and the people of God for their own ends. They're using the things of God and the people of God to to satisfy their own desires. There are pastors, there are church members, there are church attenders who, in truth, are here for themselves, and they're not here for the Lord. And I just want to ask us to allow the Lord to come near to us today and to confront us today and to purify us today so that we don't end up like Hophni and Phinehas, beloved. Believe me, when you read a story like this, do not harden your heart against these people because you could be just like them. I could be just like them. How does a person become that uh, that hard-hearted? Well, I will tell you how it happens. One small step at a time. It didn't take much for me to corrupt that water, did it? took one little pour, that's all that it took. And any of us could have this happen to us. So I just wanna encourage us today to hear the word of the Lord. Receive his rebuke and repent from your sins, especially if you're living in secret sin and, and you know it and you think you're fooling people, but you're not fooling God. Let him come near to you today. Let him pour his fire into you today. Let him humble your heart today because he's for you and not against you. We have this promise in First John 1, 9, which I think is an amazing promise. He said, if we confess our sins, God will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, right? Now, that water might be able to be purified. I don't know if it can or not. You know, they have those little kits at Gander Mountain and REI and wherever else, and, and uh, th- those things are supposed to be able to purify water, but I would not trust one of those little kits to purify this. I just poured CLR in there, right? Somebody probably has the intelligence and the resources to purify that, but not me. The case is much worse when it comes to sin infiltrating a soul. The corruption is much worse And the solution is much more difficult. It takes a level of intelligence and power and resources that we cannot imagine. But beloved, the amazing news is that God is in the house today and he has all the intelligence, all the resources and all the willingness needed to purify us from our sins. He can do that. And all it takes is for us to say, yes, Lord, I agree with you. I submit myself to you. And I just have to warn you, beloved, as your pastor who loves you, I have to warn you. If you harden your heart against God and refuse to listen to his careful pleading with you today, The day is going to come where his mercy gives way to wrath and he pronounces irreversible and inescapable judgment upon you. He's pleading with you now because he loves you. He's pleading with my heart now because he loves me. So let us listen to him. Let us bow ourselves before him. Let us allow him to to enact his cleansing fire in our lives that we might know his joy. And what I would like to do then today, the way I'd like to end the message for today, is I would like us to just take some time to bow before the Lord and let him speak to our lives. Let him raise issues up in our hearts. And maybe God will bring up big things in your life. Maybe he'll bring up small things. I'm not sure that that matters all that much. Whatever God brings up in your heart, just, just choose to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Yesterday as I was out in Crowhassen Park praying and getting myself ready, I watched some people riding horses and I I began to just pray, Lord, I want to be like the kind of horse that if you pull just a little bit to the left, I'm sensitive to you. If you pull just a little to the right, I'm sensitive to you. I don't want to be like a donkey that has to be pulled down the trail and pulled through the woods. I want to be sensitive. So even if the Lord only brings smaller sins to your mind today, beloved, respond to him. Let him have his way in you. Let him do his work in you. If you wanna remain seated, you can. If you wanna bow down, you can do that. If God really moves on your heart and you feel the need to get up and walk out of here and go take care of something, then you feel free to do that. This is your time before the Lord. But let's now bow. Ace is gonna come and play for us for just a little bit. Let's just bow before the Lord and allow him to do his work in us. Father, I thank you for what you've done in our hearts in this time, and I trust that you have worked. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the resolve to receive your word, to listen to what you have to say to us, and to follow through with whatever it is that you've given us to do. Oh, Father, you only confront us in your holiness because you want us to enter into your happiness. You're willing to speak to us a harsh word because you're a hopeful God. And how I pray that we would trust you. How I pray that we would bend our will before you. How I pray that we would soften our hearts before you. Oh Father, I pray that we would trust you. I pray that we would embrace anything you have to say to us. I pray that we would walk in the way that you're trying to lead us. And I thank you so much Father for what you will do. I thank you for how you will glorify your name. I thank you for how you will purify your church. I thank you for how you will set us up for fresh happiness, Father, for fresh power, for fresh vision. Thank you, Father. We pray these things and we trust you for these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.